0: The Bible is clear. There's something you need to do that's an RSVP to heaven that communicates to God and His angels that you can count me in, I will be there and I'll be on time. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
1: You make me... Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hi and welcome. My name is Bill, and this is Today with Jeff Vines. In today's episode, Pastor Jeff implores us to respond to God's invitation to be in relationship with him. It's true, God loves us unconditionally, but in order to share in his blessings in eternity, we must. RSVP to his offer of forgiveness and be reconciled to him. You can find many more messages like this wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. But for now, here's Pastor Jeff with his message on responding to God's invitation.
0: Uh. Something very interesting happened to me this past week. I got something in the mail this week that kind of inspired me to take a little trip down memory lane because what I received in the mail was an invitation to my 30th high school reunion. 30th. Now, what's interesting about that is that it's still two and a half years away. That's amazing. They're planning something really big. What really caught my attention was that the invitation says, come dance the night away. Eddie Van Halen. Remember that song? Dance the Night Away. What's interesting about that is, I thought, you know, by the time we have this reunion, we're not going to be dancing the night away. Most of us are going to get sleepy by around 9.30, and we're going to exit very quickly. Nevertheless, right down at the bottom of the invitation were these big letters, RSVP, which I've told is French for respond, si vous plait, which means tell us if you're coming. For those who are French majors, I'm sorry. I hope that's close enough. And they want us to respond, just to let them know we'll be there. Of course, this sparked a whole little journey for me. I thought, man, isn't life short? I mean, it just seems like yesterday I was playing Little League Baseball for the Norwell Plumbers, and we were playing the Tri-State Containers for the Little League Championship. My mom and dad were out there in the lawn chair. I remember my dad hitting the opposing coach right in the jaw. The good old days, I remember that. (laughs) And then going to Tasty Freeze afterwards and getting a hamburger, cheeseburger, and some ice cream. Good old days, all that stuff I really miss, but how time had just flown by. What I look like now and what I used to look like then. And I want to remind you that Jesus taught that the glory days are going to return and that he gives every single one of you an invitation to the greatest reunion known to man. A day when you will return to what you once were, only greater than even then. That you'll move like you used to move, only better. That you'll think that you'll be sharp that you'll be reunited with people that you've lost, a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter. Oh, that's going to be the greatest reunion ever. And you're going to be able to go home to the place that you never believed you could return to again. You're going to have the time of your life with the one who made you. And you're not only going to dance the night away, you're going to dance eternity away. And you're going to have the body to be able to do it. But here's the thing, and this is the clincher that you find through the New Testament. You must respond to the invitation. When Jesus walked the earth, he made it very clear that this invitation must be accepted. You cannot remain neutral. Neutrality will be seen as rejection. You have to RSVP because if you don't RSVP to the invitation, it's going to be automatically assumed that you're not coming to the greatest reunion known to man. You can't get to the door of eternity and say to God, well, I thought my personal assistant RSVP'd on my behalf. Jesus will say that won't work. Well, I thought my parents did. They were good people. They went to church every week. They made their decision. Can I ride in on their wagon? And Jesus will say, no, you can't because it's a personal decision, not one that can be made for you. Jesus makes it clear that it's a personal decision, a personal commitment that you make. Somewhere along the line, it's got to become personal. That's why in John chapter one, verse 12 on the screen, to all who believe and accepted, to those who RSVP'd, in other words, to all who believe and accepted the invitation, He gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn. They're new people with a new objective and a new destination. So that God's invitation to a new life, as we see all through Jesus' teachings in the New Testament, we see two things. Number one, he says all who would come. It's open to all, no matter what people group, no matter what language, no matter where you live, no matter who your parents are, grandparents, none of that matters. It matters what you do in accepting or rejecting the invitation to all who would come. It would be a personal choice. And the second thing, your decision is always followed by an activity. The same way now that I'm expected to take this card, sign my name, put it in an envelope, and mail it back to those who are planning this great reunion. That's what I have to do to let them know I'm coming. The Bible is clear. There's something you need to do. That's an RSVP to heaven that communicates to God and his angels, that communicates all to heaven, that you can count me in. I will be there and I'll be on time. RSVP. Now, this message, I don't want to make it any harder than Jesus made it. I want to make it very simple. This is the manner in which we respond to Jesus' invitation to secure our place at the banquet. The greatest reunion known to man. Jesus makes it clear that the very first thing you need to do, number one, R, is realize your need. Realize that you have a need. Now, when I was in Australia recently, a friend of mine, Clive Raharui, set up a, a round of golf with me and an Australian golf professional. Now, I was a little intimidated. My knees were shaking on the first hole. I hit my drive off the first tee. He hit his. I must have been 30 yards past him. I'm starting to feel pretty good about myself around this time. Wow, I can play with this guy. We both par the first hole. We go to the next hole, par three. We both hit. Iron's onto the green. Both get a par. I'm thinking, man, I can play with this guy. And then we came to the third hole. It was a par five. Now, for you non-golfers, a par five is the longest hole in golf, You want to try to hit a drive as far as you can so that in your second shot, you'll be able to reach the green in two and possibly get an eagle or a birdie. And so I hit my drive out there because I only know one way to swing as hard as I can. And he gets up and hits his drive. It's about 50 yards by me on the fly. He kind of looks over and winks at me because he had the potential to hit it a lot further than he was hitting it, but he only used that power when he needed to. And I'll tell you what happens. That happens a lot to us. I severely underestimated his ability and severely overestimated mine. But that's exactly what we do with God. And that's why all through the New Testament, we come to this conclusion. No matter how good we are, we're never gonna measure up to God's goodness, which is 100% every time. So most of us live our lives severely overestimating how good we are and severely underestimating how good God is. That's why Paul makes it clear. He says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the Bible becomes clear here. It says there's a problem. Our sin separates us from God. And all God says I want you to do is don't try to rationalize it. Don't try to compare yourself with other people because they're not the benchmark. God is. Just come clean. That's all I'm asking. I know you can't be perfect in the human flesh. I'm asking you to come clean, to fess up. That's why Jesus, the very first words out of his mouth in Matthew chapter 5, wasn't, why can't you people be better? What was it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy is the man. Blessed is the man who just comes clean, confesses, hey, God is perfect, I am not. I have a need. If I ever hope to get to the greatest reunion known to man, somebody's gonna have to help me. That's the first thing. Just realize you have a need. Don't be arrogant. Just come to God in humility and say, man, I've got a need. I've got sin in my life. The second thing you do, part of the RSVP, is to say you're sorry. The Bible term for that is repentance. Now, I had a friend in uh, uh, college, and when we were in university together, Wes was very quick. And he had one particular game. He had this big guy like a Dane Johnson guarding him. So a big guy, but very slow. And so (laughs) Wes is driving around this guy every time on the baseline. Well, this guy gets frustrated. So as Wes Moore starts to drive with the basketball, the baseline to the hoop, this big old guy just sticks out his arm and clotheslines my friend Wes every time. What's in you know, that hurts, you know, just catches you right under the chin. What was interesting though, every time he did it, he would say, oh man, I'm sorry. And he like did this four or five straight times until my buddy Wes Moore said, look pal, stop saying I'm sorry and repent. There's a difference, you know. You can say you're sorry and just say, I'm sorry I got caught. Or you can repent and say, I'm sorry to the point I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm gonna try to do better next time. That's the biblical version of being sorry, of repentance, that you wanna change, that you wanna go in a different direction. Sooner or later, you got to make an effort. Do something already. Well, that's what true repentance is like. It makes a conscious effort to change. You don't like the past, and now you want to right the ship. And that's why the etymology of repentance is a military term. It's called an about face. I'm going this way in my life, and at some point I recognize my need, and I do a 180-degree turn, and now I want to live this way in my life. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. It just means my will and my heart and my emotion are going to go the way of God. That's why in Acts chapter 3, verse 19... Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come. Remember, God does not give his law arbitrarily. What he tells us to do, he does so motivated out of love. He wants you to turn away from the way you're going and go his direction. And if you do, God promises us that it will bring refreshing into our lives. So that after you've realized your need as part of the RSVP, and after you've said you're sorry, Now you come to the point where you genuinely, and this is what genuine repentance is, you no longer want to wound the heart of God because you know that's what sin does. You want to live your life in the other direction. You say to yourself, I may fall again, I may fail, I may sin, I know, but the intent of my life is to do the good, to do what is right, to do what is pure, to do what is holy, and to follow God. And that is what it means to RS, to say you're sorry. It includes genuine repentance. So if you want to be at the greatest reunion known to man, Say that you're sorry. RSVP, realize your need. Say you're sorry. And here's the third thing. You're going to verbalize your trust. Now, this is important. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, not that somebody confessed on your behalf, not that somebody else made this decision for you, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want you to know one of the greatest experiences of my life when I took Bill McCarthy, this friend of mine in New Zealand that I talk about so often, after seven years of having lunch with him, seven years of a hardened heart and a contrite spirit, finally, finally one day it dawned on him what he needed to do. And one of the greatest experiences of my life, was in a hot tub in his home, and I looked Bill in the eye and I said, Bill, do you know who Jesus is? And with I mean, with passion and vigor. I mean, what a life change. He says, I know who he is. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And he forgives me of my sin. I am right with God. Man, my heart melted. We baptized him. He died to his old way, was resurrected to his new way. I had chill bumps down the back of my spine to see a man who could change so drastically to the spirit of God. And what was interesting about that, he confessed Jesus in front of his family, in front of his friends and people who thought he was gone crazy, but he was proud to wear the name of Jesus. Jesus. I remember taking my son Delaney when he was about 11 to the driving range for golf lessons. There were about 10, 11, 12 young boys out there hitting golf balls and the golf professional coaching them. The golf professional looked back at me at one point during the lesson and said, Jeff, did you bring your driver? I said, yeah, I got it right here. He says, would you hit one for the kids? I walked up there, pounded one about 310. It was probably actually a 240, but pounded one about 310 right down the middle. And it appeared to those young guys that I had hit it out of sight. And I heard my little boy turn to his friends and say, that's my dad. Man, was I proud. That's my dad. That is exactly the way God feels when we go public. That's my dad. No such thing as a closet Christian. No keep it to myself faith. You know that, right? No such thing as you're a Christian, none of your friends know it. Now, I know that we're supposed to be salt and light. I'm not saying that we should repel people. I'm talking about being salt and light and compelling people. But Jesus did say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, therefore, Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. You confess me before men, I'll confess you in heaven. And that's part of your RSVP that you're going to come to the greatest reunion known to man, that you realize your need, that you say you're sorry, and you verbalize in front of people your trust in Jesus as Savior. Alternatively, one of the saddest passages of Scripture, or the most sad passage of Scripture, rather, is in John 12, verse 42. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear. They would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. You need to know something. Jesus wants you to be kind and compassionate, gentle and tactful and polite and not obnoxious kind of people. But whether you're at work, at school, at home, in your neighborhood, in public or in private, here's what Jesus wants you to know. You stand up for me, I'll stand up for you. You acknowledge me before men and I will acknowledge you before my Father who is in heaven so that genuine followers of Jesus Christ openly confess their faith. You know who they are. They're the people who bow their heads before they eat a meal because they're proud to say to the world that Jesus supplies their need. Now, it's not the guy that says, our Father who art in heaven so loud that everybody in the restaurant can hear. It's the guy who humbly bows his head and whispers a prayer of gratitude. He's not ashamed for somebody to catch him praying. He's the guy that's not ashamed for somebody to catch him with his Bible at work on the lunch hour, opening the scriptures and studying. He's the guy that's not ashamed to use God's name in the right way. And when people use it in the wrong way, to at least have somewhat of a look of disgust. Jesus said, you confess me before men. You want to RSVP? Realize your need, say you're sorry. And I'll know if you're serious or not because you will verbally confess that I'm your savior you will not be ashamed of me. So with gentleness and kindness and love, nevertheless, openly and positively, you will confess your need for a savior and you'll be proud of his name around your friends. Now think about this just for a moment. Realize your need, say you're sorry and mean it. Turn around the other direction and verbalize your commitment. Aren't those also things that we do for the rest of our life in our Christian faith? Right? We realize our need every day. We know that's the way to respond to the invitation originally, but we also know it's the way we live our lives. There shouldn't be a weekend that you come into this place that you don't recognize you're still a sinner saved by grace. I love the bumper sticker. I can't help it. I love it that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And that is us, right? But we're trying to be. We are trying. That's what true repentance is. We're trying to be who God wants us to be. But we come with a passion to worship because we're grateful for forgiveness we've received. And then... This whole thing about saying we're sorry, don't we still do that? Don't we recognize we still wound the heart of God and we wish we didn't? That's part of the Christian walk. We realize our need daily. That's what inspires us to worship. We say we're sorry daily. That's what inspires us to take communion and remember the grace and forgiveness we receive as we confess our sins to one another. And we verbalize our commitment every day. Hopefully at work, we're proud to wear the name Jesus. We're not arrogant, we're not obnoxious, but we're proud to wear his name. Now that brings me to the fourth and last. If you're going to come to the greatest banquet, to the greatest reunion ever, Jesus makes it clear. You're going to realize your need. You're going to say you're sorry with genuine repentance and about face. You're going to verbalize your commitment and your trust in Jesus, the Savior. And there's another one, P, plunge your past. Plunge your past. Now, all the things I've mentioned so far, they're clear directives in Scripture. If you're going to come to the greatest reunion of all time, you've got to realize your need. Nobody can do it for you. Only you can do that. you got to say you're sorry. Nobody can say they're sorry on your behalf. You do that. You verbalize your commitment. If someone else can't verbalize your commitment, you do that yourself. And then you plunge your past. Now think about just for a moment. Responding, repenting, confessing, verbalizing Christ. Do these things save you? No. Only the blood of Jesus saves you. That's the only thing that can save you. But are these things evident in the life of a Christian? Yes. They're the natural cause and effect. If you're a genuine believer, these things are going to be evident. You're going to realize your need. You're going to say you're sorry. You're going to verbalize your commitment and trust in Jesus. But there's a fourth aspect. that's also non-negotiable, non-optional. It's this whole thing of baptism. By the time we reach Romans chapter 6, the apostle Paul assumes that all Christians have participated in baptism. When he says, we, verse 4, were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is a really cool picture. Paul saying, he's assuming all Christians have been baptized, right? Because it was a command of Christ. So you died your old way, you're raised to your new. You're going public with your faith. It's just much more than what you've decided inside. You're saying to the world, I'm an old man that's died and I'm a new man that lives and I live for Jesus and I'm going to the greatest reunion known to man. Now look in Acts chapter two. This is the first thing the first church on the earth was instructed to do after they accepted the invitation to go to this great reunion. It's found in Acts chapter two, verse 36. Therefore, this is the first day now of the new church. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made the Jesus, this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and what? be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit why should you do this then why should you be baptized the one you say you're following told you to and notice jesus never requires you to do something that he himself is not willing to do first matthew chapter 3 verse 16 as soon as jesus was what baptized he went up out of the water at that moment heaven was opened And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now why was Jesus baptized? It was his inauguration. He made public that he was going to accept the role of Messiahship. That he was going to indeed be a suffering servant. He had accepted the call of God on his life. He went public and said, I am going to be the suffering Messiah. And in obedience to the Father, he was baptized to fulfill all prophecy. Why do you bring this up, Jeff? Because there's much confusion. People say to me, well, Jeff, I've, I've accepted Christ into my life. I mean, I, he's my Lord and Savior, but that baptism thing, that's too big a step. And I would think, what? What? The big step is that you receive Christ. Baptism is your first opportunity to obey Jesus' first command to you, be baptized. You can't get past that one. The other is going to be harder to follow. The first thing you do after you accept the invitation, you realize your need, say you're Sorry. You verbalize your commitment. Your first chance to be obedient to the call of God is baptism. Jesus said, I want you to be baptized. That's why we do it. Some people will say to me, you know what? I don't want to get wet in front of people. Let me get this straight. Jesus comes to the earth in the form of man, leaves his throne in heaven. he's scourged twice by the Roman officials and he goes to the cross and spreads out his hands and nailed to a tree and you don't want to get wet. Now you think about that just for a moment. Baptism is the great equalizer. Whether you got a $10 haircut or a $50 haircut, you come out of that water, you're all going to look the same. <laughs> Here's the second reason you need to be baptized. Baptism was a clear practice of the first Christians. Did you know that? The book of Acts is a history of how the church began. And in the book of Acts, there are nine specific conversion stories. Every one of them begins with someone putting their internal faith in Jesus and ends with them expressing it externally through Baptism every one of them. Now, every time I bring a message like this, there are three things that happen. There's an objection, there's a misconception, and a question. Let's deal with the objection first. Yes, Jeff, I see that in scripture, but why do you guys dunk people? It's like dunking donuts around this place. You throw them down in the water and bring them back out. Why? Well, because the Greek word translated baptism in the New Testament is the Greek word baptizo. It means to dunk, to immerse, to plunge, to take under. The etymology of the word or history of the word, its origin is dyeing a garment, to take a garment and completely submerging it into the dye so that it completely changes. Now that helps us understand Romans 6 verse 4. We were therefore what? Buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Dead to the old, raised to the new. Going public with our faith. There's a misconception Jeff, do I have to wait after I receive Christ? No, you don't have to wait at all. It's the next natural step. It's part of your RSVP that you're going to be at the great reunion in heaven. As soon as you decide that you want to be at the reunion and you choose Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you choose to be a Christian, the very next step, that moment, is to be baptized. I'm dying to that old way. Now, let me just give a disclaimer so that no one misunderstands. There's nothing magical about this water and baptism does not save you. Do you understand that? No. It doesn't. It doesn't save you. Only the blood of Jesus can save you. This is your opportunity to obey the very first command you receive as a Christian. Be baptized. Confess me before men that you're serious about this. Dying to your old way, being resurrected to a new way. That's what I want you to do. It's personal. Realize your need is personal. Saying you're sorry is personal. Verbalizing your faith is personal. Being baptized and plunging your past is personal. Baptism is the greatest act, the first act for any Christian of obedience. It is an act of obedience to God your Father, your Lord and Savior.
1: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me wonder.